Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. I can't do my normal intro. A uh, little under the weather, but we want to do a show because we've got some exciting things to talk about. As of uh, Wednesday morning, USC made it officially, official, official. Well, Cliff Kingsbury changed his Twitter handle to Cliff Kingsbury and put the Manhattan Beach Pier in his profile, put Fight On in his uh, description. So Cliff Kingsbury uh, and USC Trojans in there. So officially, USC's quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. We want to have a special show today. Talking to my friend VF Castro, so she covered uh, Texas Tech and covered Cliff Kingsbury. She's a former editor in chief of a blog that covered Texas Tech. So we wanted to talk to her about what we th- was saw, uh, you know, what she saw covering uh, Cliff Kingsbury over the last several years. She's also a Big Twelve writer for UnafraidShow.com. So if you know our friend George uh, Reister, I've been on his show before, and he runs that. So she's doing stuff for him. You can follow her on Twitter at the VF Castro. What's up? How are you? Thanks for coming uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing some insights about Cliff Kingsbury. Thanks for having me. I mean, I think this is, like I was telling you in the pre-show, this is kind of my dream come true situation. Cliff is one of my favorite coaches of all time. I think he's an absolutely brilliant mind. And I grew up on USC. That was the very first uh, sporting event I ever went to. It was a USC game. I think I was like six months old. Wow. <laughs> so this to me is fun. I'm loving this. Yeah, so I, I mean, people if they're not familiar with uh, with you, maybe give a quick uh, background. Like you were a West Coast person, and uh, now you're kind of all over the place. But maybe uh, share kind of <laughs> how you got here. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Southern California, Los Angeles, and Palm Desert. And I, like I said, I grew up on on USC, and um, I ended up going to Nevada for college. And when I was at Nevada. I watched Nevada and Texas Tech play. Well, being in Nevada, being in the mountain, now it was a, I think it was the, uh, I don't remember what conference it was at the time, but now it's the Mountain West. Um, watching Nevada, going from USC to Nevada, let's put it that way. It was, it was a pretty significant jump in, you know, I guess drop off in talent, I guess you could say. And then, you know, they started building their program up again. And then they competed against Texas Tech. You had, Michael Crabtree versus uh, Colin Kaepernick. That was the level of competition there. And so even then I was able to see just how dominant Texas Tech was, how exciting they were to watch. And so at that point I was like, well, hey, I like Texas Tech now. And then a year later, ended up moving to Austin, Texas, and I just jumped into covering football. So that's kind of how it started. I'm still in Austin and um, school in Boston, which is weird, but I, now I have another reason to go back home and I have another reason to go back to LA. Yeah. This is uh really interesting. This that's is a football story. <laughs> yeah. And that's great. And, uh, uh, so that's why we wanted to get your insights on, you know, for what you've seen over the years, uh, covering, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and, and, uh, and Texas tech, the red Raiders. And, um, for, for USC fans, and I'm sure you're pretty familiar with this because they were just down, you know, five, <clears throat> excuse me, five and seven. And, that you haven't seen something like that since 2000 people were talking about not renewing their season tickets. It's just the, just the, the fan reaction, you know, Twitter on our message boards on uscfootball.com was so negative. And this at least is giving 
USC fans some life again. It's just it's just an injection of adrenaline that they're like, wow, something cool is happening. We haven't seen USC do this for so long, such a long time. So I think it's really important. But um, I don't know what what is your reaction been to seeing how USC was just like ten days ago to what it's like right now. Well, to contrast that, you had the same only opposite reaction with that or different reaction with Texas Tech fans. You had half the people who said, listen, this is a guy who just caught, got the bearings on his coaching staff going two years ago, even though he's been a coach now for a couple of years, he, he just got the bearings going. He just got the foundation established. And so we need to give him more time and he needs another season with a healthy Alan Bowman. We'd be looking at a completely different season this year. Texas Tech probably would have been playing for the Big 12 championship. And which is, which is insane to think that one player could have had that much of an impact and it's unfortunate, but you did have a lot of Texas Tech fans at that point saying, I'm not renewing my season tickets. There was low energy in the stadiums. Um, people just weren't excited about Texas Tech anymore. And I think that when you're an athletic director, that's a business decision. You have to make a decision that you think is going to be best for your program moving forward. And, you know, he's been able to do incredible things with the baseball program, with the basketball program, even women's basketball is is having a moment right now. And so, you know, I think that was a time when Kirby Hoka had to make a choice and he chose to end the relationship or not the relationship, but the, you know, the contract with Kingsbury. And so, you know, at that moment you started to realize just what a profound effect he had had throughout the nation, his contributions to football. And suddenly he goes from being somebody that half of, of Texas tech fan base wants replaced to suddenly almost every program that's popping up with a head with a coaching vacancy is looking at Cliff Kingsbury. He becomes the hottest name overnight. And it, it really is kind of astounding that he ends up, you know, in, in LA and suddenly we start hearing rumors of him popping up here and popping up there. And, you know, one player, one uh, person is saying he's, he's going through the USC weight room. And you think about a program like USC that just lost UCLA. And that's now led by Chip Kelly, who did incredible things at Oregon. I think what Lynn Swan said when he looked at Kingsbury and made a serious move at him was, we have to compete now with Chip Kelly. And we've seen what he's been able to do in the Pac-12. And we have to find someone who can who can do that and do it better. And in walks Cliff Kingsbury. And I think it was just the perfect timing. And I, and I will say this, I think that one of the biggest reasons why, uh, why Clay Helton was retained was because it, it really isn't a good head coaching market. You have a lot of the bigger names, the, you know, the, the blue chip names that people want that are staying firm with their, with their, uh, programs right now. And so I think that that too was a business decision. Yeah. I mean, I think some really good points there, uh, as far as, how popular he was on the free agent market, you could say. Yeah. And still, you know, he was the head coach of a team that was five and seven and he got fired. Uh, so, I mean, there's, it was weird for me to see, because you know, the great offensive mind he he has. And when we made the initial report that it uh, looked like they had a, uh, a deal in principle, then there was like some backing off by his agent uh, from, you know, let's we assume, but that, you know, the real uh, over the weekend interest from NFL teams, even to the point of someone saying, an NFL, he could become an NFL head coach. And it's yeah. that didn't sit. I don't know, I don't know what well, you've heard about that, but like to go from yeah. Texas Tech five and seven and being fired, I know Patrick Mahomes is great and Baker May and all that stuff. And there's it's a copycat league in the NFL. People want to try to mimic that success. 
I just didn't see that being like a realistic possibility. I'm not saying it can't be one down the road, but to go right from fire to Texas Tech to an NFL head coach, that just seemed like a stretch to me. Right. And I think that, you know, there there are two things here to take a look at. When you're a head coach, you don't necessarily, for an NFL team, you don't have to go to recruiting trips and fundraising trips and and hold babies and shake hands and do that kind of thing. You don't have, it's not a schmooze fest. When you're an NFL head coach, it's more of the business side. You get to focus more on drawing plays and just focusing on the business. And I think in that capacity, I think Cliff would have great success. But I don't think that success is now. I think that Cliff is he's one of those, he's, he's a genius. He's, he's an offensive mastermind. And, you know, you, you saw how Patrick Mahomes was able to trickle that air raid into the NFL. And then suddenly you see, uh, you see it with the Rams this year and Sean McVay, and you see how it's starting to happen. But I still think that if you're to change the, the talent pool that is being sent to the NFL, it has to be done at the collegiate level. And if you're able to start inserting that into the PAC 12, make the Pac-12 one of those formidable forces, again, to compete against the SECs, then I think that's where you're going to have the most impact as an offensive mastermind like he is. I think that's how you really make that change and how you really do have that impact in the NFL. Yeah, it's I that to me was like a, there was a crossroads there. there you know, they had a path he could yeah. take. He could go NFL. He could go college. My gut was saying he was going to go college. Our sources were saying he was going to go college, mm-hmm. but um, I, I could have seen him become an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Just the whole somewhat like with the Packers say, okay, you're going to be our head coach. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this didn't make much sense. Yeah. To me. Not that he can't be. Well, but and just, then, that was a weird and then I think to, Right. And then I think to myself, I'm like, okay, you just spent a couple days in LA. You're, you know, you're, you're at the beach, you're, you're, you're doing your thing. And then suddenly this coaching vacancy pops up in green Bay. And I'm like, uh, Green Bay, I heard it's lovely this time of year, but doesn't really seem like it suits uh, a Kingsbury type. It just doesn't seem yeah. like it's his vibe. And so <laughs> I think so much of it has to be the environment. And, you know, you, you see, you see a guy like Kingsbury with his charisma, with his moxie, and you, you see LA written all over him. And I think that he's going to thrive in this situation. And, you know, I think that so much of the uh, head coaching debate, you know, Jeff Darlington's tweets, a whole bunch of people's tweets popping up about NFL potential and this and that. I think a lot of that was also uh, leverage. And and I think that happens in a lot of cases where people start to put stuff out thinking that it's going to, you know, uh, increase probability of this happening because this team is going to see this move and then they're going to want to negotiate more, you know, and, and that's an unfortunate side effect of coaching that leverage deals end up happening all the time. And this could have been a byproduct of that. But, you know, I think in any event, you didn't see him popping up in, in places like Miami or other places that, you know, had a potential offensive coordinator job opening up and, all you were really seeing was movement happening in Los Angeles. And I think that was very telling on the move itself, because when you're that high priority, um, you know, they're going to find a way to get you to their campus. They're going to find a way to get you to their facility, to show you around, to kind of sell you on their, on their program and their team. And when that movement isn't happening and you're not being seen on other campuses, then I I think, you know, we can only go off what we're actually seeing happening. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> that's all we can go off of. So, but now it's exactly. A, I mean, you can't you can't read too heavily into that. No. Um, well, that's official. So there was all the speculation, all that kind of stuff. But it's uh, 
I think overall it's a really good move uh, by USC, like we talked about before, and I've said this a million times. Like that's just not been in USC's DNA to go out and get uh, the biggest fish in the sea. We saw UCLA do that. I, I agree with you 100%. You kind of have to react to that. UCLA's tried to do the same sort of thing where bringing in people that we're familiar with and maybe not the biggest names and everything, and USC's done that forever. Um, UCLA did with, with Chip Kelly, got the biggest name. And then USC is doing that with the offensive coordinator getting the biggest name. I know a lot of USC fans would like to see that with a head coach, but obviously Lince White had other plans. You got to make it work. You want to change a lot of things. And this is a big uh, change. But I wanted to, you know, we'll talk about his history and stuff. But this past season at Texas Tech, you talked about a team that could potentially have, you know, represented, uh, you know, played for the Big 12 championship. Um, You know, this is a team that scored six points against a not real good Kansas State team what what do you think kind of went on this season and what you know why was that happening you know it was really unfortunate because at the beginning of the season uh there was obviously you had a little bit of quarterbacking carousel happening you know you had uh, um players they they compete differently against uh against their teammates in practice and then they do when they're in actual live combat on the field and so that's why I think there was it took a, it took a little while for them to settle into um uh, the quarterback situation, but I think that once you have an injury, once you have a quarterback that is starting to break records and not just break them, shattering them at a very high pace, and then that player goes injured or gets injured in a big game to, you know, I think that was to open up conference play. Um, you have to realize that 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 quarterback is starting for a reason. And we started to understand why that was happening. And so um, when you have that level of quarterback carousel happening, it does start to affect the offense. You know, you're used to one quarterback leading and then you have second, third, fourth, potentially fourth string quarterback by the end of the season. Injuries are going to start to happen because players are starting to rotate and rotate out. They're trying to find an equation that actually puts points on the board. And so when your offense can't put points on the board the way they were used to putting points on the board to start the season, then your defense has to come in and play more. And your defense can only do so much. And the Texas Tech defense was very durable. And I will I will absolutely attribute that to the, to the former Texas Tech uh, strength and conditioning staff. But you can only do so much when your offense can't put points up. And when you're an offense like Texas Tech and you're used to putting up points, that it's just that is going to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. No, it seemed to, uh, just, you know, same sort of record, same record, right? Five and seven, five and seven. Um, and, uh, sort of derail things, but okay. So we're going to move on from that, but I wanted to, I I guess people hear air raid and they're thinking Mike Leach and never running the football. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what his offense is. Cause it is a team that, you know, that runs the football. We've seen some, uh, you know, running back a couple years ago, go for 1400 yards. I mean, what, what, what do you, how would you describe that for a USC fan that doesn't really know what Cliff Kingsbury offensive philosophy is? Well, how would you kind of describe it? Um, I think that Texas tech, obviously you have that, 
you have that mentality where, where you have to, the air raid, ment- the air raid is truly, I think the, the core of what the big 12 is. And when you have teams like Oklahoma and even Texas at some capacity, you know, to be able to run the ball and be able to throw those defenses off balance. Um, that's how you control the clock. That's how you control the game. And that's how you get in your opponent's heads really when you're able to impose will in the, in the air and on the ground. And so with, with Texas tech, unfortunately, um, they tried getting it done on the ground and there were a lot of players. You've had Trey King, uh, Dalian Ward. You've had players that, that have been able to, to get some yardage on the ground, but you know, unfortunately when your offensive line is, is having uh, rotation injuries, they're getting, they're getting hurt. They're, they're having their problems. It, it makes it really difficult to, to run the ball the way you want to. And I think that again, like injuries this season for Texas tech were, they, like I said, they started to mount up and they started to mount up, I think, because they were having to overcompensate for, for quarterbacking issues. And so, um, I think for Cliff Kingsbury going into USC, you have, the availability of that four or five star talent. There is no excuses as to why you can't have guys like Alabama ready to go. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference with, with, uh, with uh, Kingsbury's jump from Texas tech to USC is that that's a destination school. People, people want to go to USC, not that they didn't want to go to Texas tech, but you know, if you're recruited to Texas tech or USC, you're going to probably pick USC especially right. if you have a mastermind like Kingsbury. So, I mean, you know, case in point, um, who's that quarterback that just, he was committed to Texas tech. Um, oh, he's got the really cool name. Um, yeah. MacGyver yeah. Maverick MacGyver. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he reopened his, his, uh, recruitment when Cliff Kingsbury was, was fired. And so he was being recruited by USC. And I think that's very telling. So if you have a, a quarterback like him who has the opportunity, Hey, I'm committed to Texas tag, but my guy just went to, just went to USC. I think I'm going to reopen this and see, see what happens. And so, you know, I think that if you have any, if you want any margin of, of how effective Kingsbury already has been, then there it is. Yeah. The, uh, you mentioned the, the talent and that's what, uh, I guess it's the most common thing that people talk about, like, Hey, Chip Kelly at Oregon was amazing. What if he was in LA and he had, you know, five stars in his backyard instead of recruiting guys from Texas or wherever, trying to get, you know, anyone he could get in there, what's he going to do at UCLA? So that's what you want to see. We're going to you know watch UCLA for the next couple of years and you'll, you'll get your answer. And the same sort of thing with like a cliff Kingsbury, like, Hey, he's going to go to a team that has a five-star quarterback and four-star quarterbacks backing him up and five-star receivers, like already, just you walk in there and the, the personnel you have, like what, what could that offense be with that? Like what, what are your kind of thoughts on that when you talk about system and then having, you know, a different level of, or caliber of players? Well, I mean, prime example, um, even USC in a down year, they still produced the number two wide receiver in the country in Antoine Wesley. And I think Cliff has been able to do this year after year with walk-ons, with two, three-star talent. He has consistently been able to produce a top 15 offense in the country with this. Imagine the possibilities if he has blue chip recruits from the Los Angeles area, if if they're able to go in and start recruiting Texas, Florida, imagine the possibilities with what he's been able to do with an offense that, you know, Lubbock is a tough city to recruit to. 
call it what you want to call it, especially the first couple of years that he was at Texas Tech, they didn't have the indoor facility. They didn't have the infrastructure that they've had. They redid their weight room. They they redid the football field. Um, they've added tons of new uh, different uh, things to the actual stadium. And all of this change was happening during his career at Texas Tech. USC has this built in already, even though they're doing renovations to, to this, to the Coliseum right now, they already have these mechanisms in place. So he doesn't have to go out and have to overcompensate for recruiting. It's there, it's built in. So he has this avail this talent available to him now that he never had before. Yeah. You know, the weird thing is though, like, even like we look at Mike Leach, like Luke Falk, you know, mm-hmm. sets all these records. He was a former walk-on. Um, then right. you're wondering like, but you know, it's still like you could say with Texas Tech, if you look at the uh the commit list and stuff, everyone's like three star guys. But there's a mm-hmm. development factor too. I think Texas Tech has put more wide receivers in the NFL than anybody or has more in the in the NFL than anybody right now, if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah. so I think that's what's curious. Like, well, what if you start with a five star guy? Can you will they be as effective as someone who's kind of learning and and adapting themselves to the system if they're set in their ways or anything? I don't know if you what do you think about that? I think so much of the reason Texas Tech has been able to have the the success that they've had with their players is because those guys come in gritty. Most of the time, those players were were uh, just overlooked at so many different phases in their in their development. They they felt like they were underrated. Um, they weren't paid enough attention to because of the high school they went to or the fact that they didn't go to state or whatever the issues were. Um, those players came in with a chip. They came in gritty. They came in wanting to fight for their respect. And I think that is the one thing that Texas Tech, it is very, very blue collar in that regard, where you don't go to Lubbock thinking you're you're Hollywood. You go into Lubbock with this incredible work ethic that you're going to get things done. You're going to get your name out there because this is the place that you go to make that happen. And so I think that's why, you know, Cliff especially, he's he isn't going to accept that attitude either the the uh, on the other side of the the spectrum you know if a player comes in there and says i'm set in my ways i'm good i know what i'm doing i've got this he's not going to accept that he is going to try and retrain your mentality to make you uh like those texas tech players who have that chip who have that belief that they were overlooked and that's what makes a player better not going in there thinking that you are the best yeah no i think that makes sense and uh that's the that's the big thing like hey what are you going to do with a five-star guy? We know what you can do with a walk-on or a three-star guy and stuff. Um, these dudes, and you know, we've seen a lot of guys from Texas Tech go into the league, you know, the Michael Crabtrees yeah. or Danny Amendola's and, and obviously the, the quarterbacks, which we got to talk about quarterbacks because I mean, that's, <laughs> it's amazing. The, the weirdest thing to me is when, when people talk about this, um, you know, his time. So he was a uh, offensive coordinator at Houston, uh, Texas A&M, and then, uh, you know, goes to Texas Tech in 2013. But to have a guy like Baker Mayfield on your team and you decide to bench him and he ends up going to another school and winning the Heisman because you have Patrick Mahomes, like maybe kind of talk about how that happened because that just seems crazy so to me. Bad. <laughs> um, you know, he, as I recall, he got injured. Um, like it happens in a lot of situations, it, you know, you, you can have a, a set of really good quarterbacks who are trying to compete for that QB one spot. Player gets injured, whether it's an ankle, whether it's something very simple, you throw another guy in there. And I really feel like that was the perfect storm 
for, for Kingsbury. Um, he had Davis Webb. He had Baker Mayfield and on the team at the same time. And Webb went in there and, and Webb started playing phenomenally. And, you know, it's just one of those things like you usually go with the hot hand. And so I think there's I have a theory on this because, you know, you you put yourself in the in, in the eyes of a player. For them, this also is a business decision. And Baker Mayfield, he went to Lake Travis High School. They're used to winning. They're used to development. They're used to certain sets of, of, of just things that they do. And so um, if he really – he grew up an Oklahoma fan. If he really wanted to go to Oklahoma right away, he could have walked on at Oklahoma. Yeah. Why did Mayfield choose to walk on at Texas Tech? Because Cliff Kingsbury had just produced the youngest Heisman winner in history in um, – Johnny Manziel. And Johnny Manziel. Yeah. And so why wouldn't you want to go to Texas Tech and learn from somebody who just did that? That's pretty incredible. And so he, I, I truly believe that Baker wanted to go to Texas Tech to learn from Cliff. And he had no intentions, I think, on staying at Texas Tech. I think that he walked on again at Oklahoma. Again, that was a decision for him. There was a scholarship waiting for him at Texas Tech. It, it just it wasn't it was the timing when it when it all was happening. Yeah. Um, the scholarship, I think, was offered for spring, and it, it just it, the situation became more inflated than it had to be. But like I said, when you're a walk-on as a freshman, and you have a team that you've been following your whole life that you want to go to that team, why not go to that team? Why why have a stop along the way? Because you want to learn from somebody. Yeah. So so that was so, let's see. So there was so he had Baker Mayfield. Oh yeah. So it was Davis Webb that really took his job, and then Mahomes. Took it all. Well, no, I guess Mahomes got it later in that same year too. Those were right. Was yeah, that, that was all the same? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think what was happening, as I recall, Davis Webb started getting very pick prone. I think he threw thirteen interceptions in the 2014 season. Yeah, and he still he still threw for over 2,500 yards. He still had an incredible. Uh, I think he 20 25 maybe touchdowns that year, um, but. Patrick Mahomes, I, I think that was the biggest reason why, as if I recall, why he was um, no an injury. I think it was an injury. Um, why Mahomes took over and what okay. Mahomes did was absolutely incredible. I know in 2016, he threw for over 5,000 yards, forty um, some, maybe forty, I don't, forty one touchdowns. I think um, he had an absolutely incredible year. And so then there was in 2016, Patrick Mahomes. It was during the Kansas game. He slid and he got injured. And then Nick Shimonet came in. Of course, it was a Kansas team, but still, it was exciting to watch Nick Shimonet come in there and and show what he could do, and finish the game out. And and obviously Texas Tech won. But I think that gave people a vote of confidence for Nick Shimonet going into the next season. And you know, then Nick Shimonet was able to go in during the last game um, of the season against Texas, score a touchdown, and and Texas Texas Tech won. And people think that it bought Cliff Kingsbury another year. But Cliff has notoriously been able to produce talent. I think it's just the durability of the talent. And I think that's where the strength and conditioning stuff has come in. And and so, you know, I, I think that's the foundation of it. Yeah, it's funny. So you look at his, like the quarterbacks that he's coached, like Case Keenum, like, dude, he's in the mm -hmm. NFL. Uh, Johnny Menzel, yeah. you know, won the Heisman, was, you know, briefly in the NFL. Uh, Davis Webb, same thing. He ended up, what, transferred to Cal? and uh, Yeah, got a graduate transfer. Yeah. And then, and then it was drafted by the Giants. Yeah, and then uh, obviously Patrick Mahomes is uh, likely going to be the NFL MVP uh, this year. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, you know, won the Heisman Trophy. 
who he benched. I was, <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of crazy just looking at the, I mean, he didn't they, bench him. He was injured. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I just say he's benched him, but America. I mean, he could have brought him back and he did, you know, there, he got Wally pipped, I guess, or whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you go with a hot hand yeah. like any coach would do. So it's a, it's pretty impressive, um, resume there, but I wanted to talk about some of the other positions as well, because, you know, we, we mentioned the wide receivers that, you know, a lot of guys, uh, going into the league, taking, you know, two, three star guys or walk on guys and making them successful. But, uh, I mean, there was a, a tight end that caught like over a hundred passes. We've, like I mentioned the a running back that, that went over 1400 yards. I mean, there's, he's made some other positions. It's not just, you know, quarterback throwing to receivers all day. There's other factors involved. Yeah. There are a lot of other factors involved, but I think, um, with Cliff, he's, he's always, he tech doesn't really go with tight ends. I think a lot of their receivers, um, they rely so heavily on inside and outside receivers that they kind of act as a hybrid. And so, um, you know, when you have that many receivers on the field at any given moment who can do damage, like I said, on the inside or the outside, um, you know, I think that that's where you want to put the bulk of your recruiting is that in the offensive line. So, you know, quarterbacks are going to come regardless. So, I think that that's always been kind of a question for people. They kind of ask, well, why doesn't Texas Tech have more tight ends? I, like I said, I think that's, that's the only answer that I can provide. But, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that people talk about, though, in terms of other positions with Texas Tech, why they weren't able to get things done was on their defense and special teams. And, you know, the special teams last year, I will say, they took a lot of the steam out of the Texas Tech team last year because, you know, you, you go up, you march down the field, you have to kick a field goal. Your, your, your kicker's injured, you keep missing. It just becomes an epidemic at the time. And people think that, you're, uh, that your kicker is out for the rest of the year um, or that they're never going to rebound. And they're like, wow, we're, we've gone from worse to progressively worse, if that's even possible. And so I think that's always been a big, that's been a big issue. And, and they finally got it together. Texas Tech special teams finally got it together last year. Texas Tech's defense, like I said, finally got it together last year. And I think that, unfortunately, is what, the Cliff Kingsbury era is going to be known for how come they were able to produce such prolific offenses, but it took their defense so long to, to, to try and catch up. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's just, like I said, I think it's a series of very unfortunate events. And, and again, I have another theory behind that was, um, you know, a lot of coaches when they come in, they have lots of experience. They've, they've been in the business for several years. They, you know, they're late, uh, uh, you know, or late thirties, uh, into their fifties, they've built their coaching network. They have their people and they have their people they can call And with cliff. You know, he got into coaching because of parking tickets at Texas tech. He, when he was done playing football, he figured, well, I should probably just get my master's and do something there. And, um, he went to, he, he contacted Texas tech to have his transcripts and they wouldn't release his transcripts because he owed a, over a thousand dollars or something in parking tickets. And so he said, well, what's my next option? <laughs> so that's how he got into coaching. And <laughs> it was just the most random thing. And so he didn't have aspirations if he was a child saying, I want to be a college football coach. This just happened. And so, you know, when you're the youngest head coach hired, you don't have that much of that big of a network. And so he brought in some of his friends and he tried making things work. And, and throughout, you know, a couple of years, he finally was able to build up a tree. He was finally able to build up uh, confidence in assistant coaches to, to go to Texas Tech to, you know, give up what they had at their, at their previous posts and, and, and join what he was trying to build because they believed in him. And it does take a coach a while to build that. 
And I think that's another factor when people want to talk about development and his uh, uh, player development and how his uh, his win loss record just doesn't stack up to the amount of talent that he had on his teams. That's that's a big reason why. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, obviously, he's not going to have to worry about special teams or running the defense. I mean, he's going to be he's brought in obviously yeah. to run the offense, which uh, you know he can do a really good. You know, you did a really good job there. I mean, what do you feel about that? Like focusing, you know, you were running everything you're, he's going to be working for a coach that a lot of the fans wanted fired, you know, like not really wanted around anymore. Um, You know, people talk about him as potentially being a coach in waiting. Like, what do you think about the whole situation of him? Like backing away, only doing the offense and then what his role is going to be under uh, Clay Helton. Um, I don't think his routine is going to change any. And I think for him, that routine is is what makes his identity. And so that routine is he's always the first one at the facility. He's always the last one to leave. He doesn't like doing anything that puts his his program or team in a, in a negative light. He doesn't like to be the news ever. You, you hardly ever hear anything uh, that he does outside of football. And so that's strictly by design. And um, I don't think that's going to change. And I think that because that's not going to change, he is still going to have that same dialed in work ethic. He's still going to be able to go in there every day. He's probably going to want to work with the defense. He's going to want to work with different positions. He's going to want to work with um, with uh, different coaches on on how we can best do this and how we can best do that. He 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 he's probably just going to be popping in and out of meetings all day just because that's how he feels like you develop an offense is by understanding what defenses are doing. And, and, you know, he wants to find, um, he wants to find holes in his own systems and his own plays. And he, yeah, he gets to focus on the offense, but I think that a leader is a leader. And I think he's just a natural born leader, which is why so many people follow with what he wants to do. And I think it's, it's, it's going to be kind of a shock, I guess, for Helton in a way, because I think that he um, he knows he's under the gun. He knows that this is kind of a make or break year for him. And, and, and a lot of people said that it, could it could it have been possible that Helton hired his executioner? I mean, nobody really knows. But I think that with what happened with USC and that order, I mean, they don't have a track record of hiring an interim. So say something happens, devastating happens next year. And uh Cliff is promoted to, to interim or something happens. Um, you know, that's again, doomsday scenario, but USC just doesn't have that track track record either. So I don't think that Helton is necessarily worried about that happening, but I do think that Helton is going to have to understand that Cliff is very meticulous. He likes being a part of meetings. He likes knowing what's going on and he likes working with other coaches to try and figure out solutions. Yeah, it'd be interesting. People talk about that. I'm like, well, the problem is if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury comes in and does what you expect him to do and USC scoring more than 30 points a game instead of 26 or whatever they were before, well, you're probably winning a lot of games and then you're probably not firing Clay Helton. And and if he's not, I mean, I guess the offense would have to be really good, but the, the rest of the team still stink and you're losing games, but you're scoring a lot of points. Then they might just say, well, we're going to turn it over to Cliff Kingsbury. But to me, the scenario is hard to picture how that would happen. Cause if he's really successful, that would make Clay Helton more successful. So you probably wouldn't be getting rid of right. him. Well, this gives Helton an opportunity to focus on other things, defense, special teams, recruiting, schmoozing, doing that kind of stuff. This gives him that opportunity to just say, all right, our offense is in really good hands whatever Cliff says is probably what we're going to do because he knows what he's doing. And, you know, uh, 
like people say, you're scoring points, you're putting, you're putting uh, uh, people in seats, you're selling tickets, you're doing what you, the mechanism is working the way it's supposed to be working to, to create the, the, the test for, you know, to, for what makes us a team successful. And so, um, I think Helton, if he can just, yeah, he needs to focus on, on head coaching stuff and just let Cliff run the offense the way he knows how to run his offense. And I think that there, there is going to be synergy. Cliff is a very easy guy to get along with. He's, he's super, um, just, he's very, like I said, he's very easygoing. He's very chill. He, you know, he, there isn't a lot of drama. There's no fuss. Like I said, he puts the team first in absolutely every single thing that he does in his life. And, and, uh, that kind of personality is, is I think what USC needs right now. And I, like I said, he's used to coaching up these guys that come in with chips. He's used to telling them, you know, when they come in, you, you weren't recruited, you were a walk on, you recruited by maybe one or two D one schools. Um, you know, it's, or, um, you know, it's, it's going to take that same mindset when these players come in that, Hey, we understand that you are blue chips. We appreciate you. Your talent is there. You have that, you have the talent to, to be successful, especially at the next level. But, you know, you have to understand that we're going to break you. And once that happens, you're going to be able to be retrained in, in this sort of offense that is going to help you become the best player that you can be. Uh, a couple more things. We'll let you go. The, uh, the assistant coaches, I want to talk about that. And then we'll talk about strength and conditioning afterwards, but the, the assistant coaches, um, USC has an opening, we're assuming for running backs, uh, probably not going to have a tight end coach, uh, but they had a tight end coach that would likely move over to wide receivers and Kerry Colbert. Uh, they have an offensive line coach, Tim Drevno, who was an offensive line coach before, but he's run, doing running backs and he's doing both. Um, and you know, so there's, there's some, you know, uh, he's going to take over the, the quarterback spot. Uh, so there's some spots he would need to fill, but there's not, not, you know, who knows if he's going to uh, replace a couple of the coaches that USC already has. What would you say about the offensive assistance he has? And if are any of them staying on at Texas Tech or would uh, are they free agents, too? Do you think he would bring them with them? What, what do you think about the assistant coaching situation? I know that um, every coach at Texas Tech was let go. Okay. I think the only person that remains at Texas Tech is the uh, equipment people. Or are the equipment people? So, wow, so cleaned uh, house. Yeah. yeah, they're a cleaning house completely. So, uh, in terms of Texas Tech, you know, they really, I think, improved under Kevin Johns, who was our offensive coordinator in the first season. Um, you know, Cliff might consider him. Um, he was the was he the was, oh he was the offensive coordinator. He wasn't the so was it Brandon was, Jones was, that was the offensive line coach? Is that? Yeah, he was okay. the offensive line coach, and he was a, a former Red Raider. He graduated in two thousand six. Okay. So I think that's definitely a possibility. If it's open, he could tab him. Um, I think, like I said, one of the biggest issues for Texas Tech last year was injuries. It wasn't necessarily coaching. It was just, you know, things happen throughout the season that, you know, you, and, and, and Texas Tech, their offensive line was supposed to be one of their top positions last year. And so unfortunately, like I said, injuries, things were happening. And so they had to reshuffle. I think he could potentially come, uh, come back. Uh, Clay McGuire was the running backs coach, Emmett Jones, outside receivers coach. Um, I, I think there are potential people that if possible, Cliff could bring because he has that, those relationships with, but I think that if you are Kingsbury, 
you're you're looking at Emmett Jones. You're looking at that outside receivers coach because you saw what he was able to do with the Antoine Wesleys. And I think that um, he became probably one of the premier free agent coaches just because what people were able to see him do, especially in a down year. Okay. Um, and it, so he was in his third season with Texas Tech. And so I, I think that if, if USC wanted to give him a shot, that he's he's definitely probably the guy to bring in. Yeah, I think USC wanted to get, obviously, the big name first. And then we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of that's been talked about or negotiated right. or whatever. So we'll see uh, if there's any more announcements coming in the next couple of days. But um, we haven't heard anything on the USC strength and conditioning side. But a lot of people keep asking me, like, are they going to run practices different and um, I, I know we talked off air and you were a, a big fan of, um, the strength and conditioning coaches that Cliff Kingsbury had at Texas tech and they're no longer there either. So, I mean, I, we don't know, but that, yeah. I mean, if, if USC is making a change on that front, <laughs> I mean, that would be one of the yeah. possibilities, I guess. If USC decides to make a change at strength coach, I know they're, they're not at least, on the outset in the market to make that change. But if they were, I truly believe that Rusty Witt, who is the Texas Tech strength coach, is probably the best name in the game right now who currently does not have a job, who should have a job. I thought that at least Texas Tech would negotiate with a new uh, head coach to retain the strength and conditioning staff because they were that good. Uh, I, I it's it's hard for me to understand why this staff was not retained. So that's why I think that, you know, um, Coach Witt, he's a former Army uh, Green Beret. He he had a career in as a strength and conditioning coach, and then he left at night during 9-11 or after 9-11 to enlist in the Army because he just felt like that was a calling. That was something he, he needed to do. And when he got out, he restarted his coaching career and he's been able to take so much of that mindset, that mentality, that military experience and retrain his, his players, retrain that, that their mindset to, to be stronger, to be more durable. And that, you know, it really is a mind over matter situation. So for him, so much of the coaching uh, philosophy is the, the, meant the, the mindset and how it affects your physical um uh, conditioning and reaction. And so, um, that really is, is sort of a multi-phase, uh, training philosophy. And I think that that is pretty needed. I think when you're at USC right now, there's so many errors that are made because of mental mistakes, because of, um, just things that, you know, they're so easy to not do, but you know, you wonder why they beat themselves so many times and you wonder how a guy like coach Witt could come in and, and, and change that philosophy. Yeah, that, that's going to fire up uh, USC fans. They want to see a more physical team. But, you yeah. know, obviously that kind of starts from the top. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm no strength. I always say this. I'm no strength and conditioning expert. But when you talk about uh, VF, by the way, if you follow her on Twitter, she's a workout fiend. So she's working all the time. But um, if you, yeah, like that, if you want to change the culture, uh, that's the biggest part of it because the strength coaches are with the players more than the the regular coaches, the other coaches. So the football coaches. Um, so if that's that's why I would think. I mean, I don't know if Ivan Lewis is the the best. Of the world. I don't. I'm just you know I'm, that's not my expertise, and you don't really get to see them doing all that work because it's all behind the scenes. But if you want to change the culture, I do think that's probably area number one you would would look for. And with when the athletic director is coming out and saying that you would think that that would be a possibility. Right. Well, I think that if 
if this is going to be a possibility that, like I said, that is the name that USC needs to jump on, because I think, you know, this guy is a Texas born and bred guy. He is no BS. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He, he's the type of person who, you know, you take a bunch of Southern California kids and he is going to, to put that, that, uh, that fortitude, that endurance, that, uh, that mindset that is really going to take these, these, these athletes really far in life. And I'm not saying that our, that uh, USC's current strength coach isn't equipped to do that, but I'm saying that I think once you have someone who has experienced what coach Witt has experienced in the military and seen how he's been able to apply that to his job, to his career, that is, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting, um, uh, mechanism he has in place. And I think once you understand it, you understand why these, why the players, uh, liked this stuff so much. VF Castro, follow her on Twitter at the VF Castro. And you can read her stuff covering the big 12 on unafraid show.com. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. We really appreciate the insight on, uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, maybe talking down the road. Get your thoughts if you know exactly. as you watch the USC offense and see like, hey, what's going on? You know, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Like I said, I this was I, I, I this doesn't happen. <laughs> so this, I mean, coaching is a very big pool, and especially coaching staff, uh, coaching uh, potential is a very big pool. And so, like I said, I was not expecting this to happen when he became a free agent. But hey, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy as I USC. Nice. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks for having me. Bye. All right. That was pretty cool. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that and get some insight into someone that's been covering uh, Cliff Kingsbury for the last several years. Uh, lots of cool uh, nuggets in there. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Going to answer some of your questions that came in. We got voicemails. We got um, emails and stuff. So I'll try to, to do all of that. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Here's the first voicemail for you. Uh, I'm a concerned fan uh, uh, reporting on uh, your up, uh, upcoming uh, year uh, and all your changes on the coaching staff. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, I've been a USC fan for years, and I've been an athlete for years. I've been coach and also a scout. And I'll tell you one thing for sure. Keith McClay Helm, and he's a good guy, don't get me wrong, he's not the fit for USC. Now, uh, and uh, Clancy Pentagrass, is not the fit for USC also. Think about it for a second. Would, would uh, Nick Saban have these two gentlemen on, on his staff? And how, how long do you think that lasts by what the results are? That's your answer right there. You can end it right there. That's how your upcoming season is going to be. And so on. Uh, my name is Jim. Take care. Have a good day. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Thanks, Jim. Um, yeah, so <laughs> with Nick Saban, yeah, Nick Saban probably wouldn't have hired uh, Clay Helton, but you know he would have hired Cliff Kingsbury. So I, I know what you're saying. Um, USC's hiring practices have not been uh, to the level that you would look at a program with USC's prestige for sure. Uh, we saw, we talked about with uh, VF there the um, what UCLA was able to do and bring in a Chip Kelly. That's outside of their normal realm of what they would do. And maybe that forces USC to step up. And the next time they have to hire a head coach, would they hire uh, someone that's not in demand again? I don't know. I think you would kind of have to get someone that 
that is in demand, uh, like like Cliff Kingsbury is or was um, now that he's at USC. So I think that's a a great a great move there. Um, what? How much does it fix everything? I don't think so, but it fixes a lot, and I think it's a it's certainly a step uh, in the right direction. I think the the ship has sailed now. I mean, Clayton is retained, so people. I think we did did this when he was hired. Like, yep, I mean, it was probably not the right decision. Didn't feel it was the right decision then. Uh, go forward, he had a really good couple years, and then uh, obviously a horrible year this past year. 2019 will be very telling with the schedule we talked about in the last show. Uh, it's very, very tough. So it's a tough schedule, and you you know you're going to have to come out of the gate playing well. And will they be able to do that with Cliff Kingsbury running the offense? We'll see. I think they're going to score a lot more points. Uh, before we jump into any more, I wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been great to us uh, over the last couple of years, and it's it's awesome to uh, be able to work with them. It's it's a product, it's a, a store that I love to go to myself, and my wife and I go to all the time. We have uh, one that's fairly new in Hermosa Beach that we enjoy, but there's also the one uh, just off the USC campus uh, at the University Village that's awesome. And whenever I give a when I like, took friends that were in from out of town for a little of a tour around campus um, for my reunion, the 25th reunion. And you know, that's the first place we go. And they're amazed like, wait, people live in the dorms. Students live in the dorms above a Trader Joe's. You can just come down and get a snack. And yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. So uh, thanks to Trader Joe's for helping us out over the years. Uh, they've been, they've been great and I uh, look forward to keep working with them. Um, go to a uh, email question. This is from Joan Lewis. Uh, so this is about the schedule that came out. Why is Notre, Notre Dame game so early on the schedule? Hasn't it traditionally been much later in the season? And uh, Joan, so the agreement with Notre Dame, it's been doing this for many years. Uh, if it's a Los Angeles uh, game, if the game's in Los Angeles, they do play it uh, in November, late November. Uh, if it's in uh, South Bend to try to avoid some of the uh, – bad weather, they play it uh, in October. So it, they move it up when it's in South Bend. And then uh, when it's in LA, it's the end of the season. So that's what they've traditionally done. The weird part about this schedule is with you get three out of conference games and they had scheduled a BYU game, three games actually with BYU. They signed that back in 2013. Uh, but one of them is going to be away and it happens to be in 2019. So you're talking about two out of conference away games in the same year, which, you know, I, I, not ideal. Uh, it's at least in a year when they, they play Notre Dame away, it's when they get uh, five home games in the conference schedule. So it's not like they're playing four home conference games. So it does help with that a little bit. But typically you try to get seven home games in that year. And uh, this year you're only going to get six because you're playing BYU and Notre Dame on the road. Uh, we got Lloyd. Uh Said last uh, last year, the offense and defense seemed to take their time to line up. Uh, so they took time lining up. The Kingsbury offense, you need to move. He said move pretty. I think he means pretty fast. Uh, the team reflected Helton's personality. They never were in a hurry. How do you think it's going to work uh, to get up to jet speed with Kingsbury? So he said, well, didn't really word this right. He said jet speed Kingsbury and donkey speed Helton. Okay, so. I think the offensive philosophy will be Kingsbury's. He's going to have control over it. It's, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit before. Uh, the air raid, I think he's running the air raid. I mean, he's running his offense, but he's always adapted his offenses to the personnel 
that he has. And if you look at the way their run pass ratios, um, it's not like they just throw the ball 80% of the time. That's not what he does. It's, it's closer. It's not 50%, but, uh, they run the ball a lot more. Uh, they always have prolific passers. They spread the ball out to a lot of different receivers. Um, he's had a, a great tight end. I think it was an inherited tight end, uh, but they're mostly H-backs. They're like slot guys. Um, so there's not like a traditional tight end on the team. But, you know, if you have a guy like Josh Follow, he would line up in the slot and throw it to him. But I think they're going to run at the the tempo that Kingsbury wants the offense to run. So I think you might see some uh, additional changes in practice because you're going to let him do what he wants. There's not going to be... Uh, you know, running whatever, you know, trying to do what you do now. They're, that just wouldn't make any sense. So you bring in a guy like that, he's going to run his system. I think practices will be uh, impacted by that as well, Lloyd. So um, whatever you liked or didn't like about Clay Helton's offense, I don't think uh, you're going to have to worry about if, you know, him being involved in that. This is going to be, you don't hire Cliff Kingsbury to uh, do something. You don't hire, like you don't, if you bring in, if you're running a restaurant, and you hire uh, like the best French chef uh, out there, and then you bring him or her in and say, "Okay, well, I want you to cook American cuisine." That doesn't make any sense. Why did you hire that person? You could have brought someone else in to run your current system. So that's not what the the, the point here is. We'll get you know when we when they have the press conference, we'll get to ask a bunch of those kind of questions. But uh, that's just my take on it, Lloyd. Uh, Mark says, "Why are you so enthusiastic about Kingsbury?" Uh, where is he won in a big program against a big program? Um, well, I mean, he when he was the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech, uh, they beat this uh, program called Alabama. So that, that that's pretty good. Um, I mean, he was at Texas A&M. Did I, hopefully I didn't say Texas Tech. When he was at Texas A&M, him and Johnny Manziel, that's what they did. Uh, he won the Heisman. So uh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, they're just look at the results on offense. And we, you know, we talked about yeah, the teams, maybe they struggled on special teams. Maybe they weren't good on defense. The offenses were always, uh, always good. So that uh, his rankings. So total offense. Um, I mean, I'm looking through when he was at Houston two years, he was, they were 11th in total offense in the country. And then first in the country, 600 yards a game at Texas A&M. They were third in the offense uh, in the country in offense. At Texas Tech, they were 8th, 10th, 2nd, 1st. The worst, they were 16th in 2017. And then 12th uh, in, in the country. And uh, yeah, so that's... Um, 2017 is after when they lost Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes threw for 5,052 yards, 41 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions in 2016. I mean, that's ridiculous. So that's why uh, people would be excited about this, I guess you would say. Because he's going he's coming in to run the offense... And there's one thing you know, he runs the offense uh, really, really well. All right, here's another voicemail. Jeremiah from Snake Lake. Boy, I feel like a yo-yo on a string. Back and forth, side to side. Cliff's coming. Cliff ain't coming. Cliff's coming. Cliff ain't coming. My question's for R.A., double S, and at Keeley is my name. What the hell is going on, y'all? Can we get an answer or not? I'll take my answer off the air. Jeremiah, we got the, we got an answer. So, I, but I wanted your voice. Sorry, it's funny. So I wanted to play it, but um, yes, the answer is, is done. And we, you know, we talked about it about a, you know, a week or so ago and we still felt pretty confident um, that this was going to happen. 
And uh, there was some, you know, looking around in the NFL like we talked about, but USC, it's all official now. He signed, sealed, and delivered. And uh, this adds a lot of excitement. So uh, sorry you had to wait a little bit, but it's over now. Here's another voicemail. Hi, Ryan. Uh, this, this question can be asked for anyone. Uh, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Um, maybe you can play this if Cliff uh, Kingsbury or if he's hired uh, or not, but uh, uh, it might be quick. Um, so everyone's worried about this air raid offense. Um, my question is, um, I mean, Kingsbury is, is obviously a great, talented offensive mind, um, so I don't see why people would be worried about him running an air raid. Honestly, do you guys think he would even run an air raid? I don't think he would run an air raid offense at USC. People have to realize that Texas Tech does not have the talent or skill that USC offense has, so he run those air raids that Texas Tech are used to, uh, I guess, supplement the lack of talent that they have there, you know, so over, you know, so they can you know, overcompensate what they don't have and, you know, and, and, and play well. So at USC, I don't know if it's me. I would see him running more of a, a Kyle Shanahan style of offense. I mean, all three of his running backs did, did have 300 yards. Now with the type of running backs that he has at USC, he could possibly have all those guys maybe close to 1,000 yards or maybe at least one of them. I'm just, just seeing him. I say Kyle Shanahan because he had that style of offense, and now that he's with the 49ers, you know, they came in and, you know, with Garoppolo and these other quarterbacks, you have unknown-named guys like, you know, Matt Breida and stuff like that almost rushing for 1,000 yards in, uh, you know, these tight ends. So he would definitely utilize USC's wide receivers and tight ends that have not been utilized under the previous regimes, which USC has some very talented tight ends and running backs. So he can really do a lot with this system. And I don't think he would run the air raid with USC because he, no, he would have no reason to. But he would definitely create a dynamic style of offense. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I don't think it's – he's not coming in here to not run the air raid. That's what he's going to run. It's going to be the air raid. But if you look at what he – his air raids have been, it's – they're adaptable. They've changed. They're not – yes, there's different kind of uh, talent he would have at Texas Tech. If he has a really good running back, um, I think it was 2000 – I forget which what year it was, but they had a running back that was over 1,400 yards – um, I mean, you're t- and a, and a quarterback that threw for over four thousand. Like you, you can have some sort of balance there. And I think with, you know, you got Stephen Carr and and Vi Malapai and uh, Marquis Step. I think you know it's not like they're going to abandon the run and just throw the ball every time. They they will run the football. I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, three four wide receiver sets. Um, you know, it's it's going to be the area. I, that's what he does. Um, but you can do things a little bit differently depending on the personnel. So uh, that's that's what we all want to see. I think you're going to see a much more defined offense, much more crisp uh, moving forward, much more productive, much more efficient. Uh, efficiency, that's what these, uh, you know, what you see him do. That's what these offenses bring. And you're going to see these quarterbacks do that. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I really think it's going to be positive, but don't think he's going to come in here and start running a different offense. It's going to be, the main concepts are going to be what you see in the air raid, but it'll look more like, um, you know, watch, you know, watch what Texas tech does. It's not the same thing as what, uh, Mike Leach is doing, uh, at, at Washington state. So I think, you know, if there's a year where he doesn't feel like he has good running backs and they might just throw it all over the field, but at USC, you're going to get those guys. It's not like, Oh, you got some three star that he's developing really well. And you have to make a, you know, a star out of him. Like you're going to have the talent there, at those skill positions and, and it'll be fun to watch how he kind of utilizes that. We've got a text question. Uh, hey, Keely and Ryan, Jason from sometimes Japan. Uh, 
What are your opinions on Tim Drevno if he stays as the offensive line coach? And if we get a new offensive coordinator like Cliff Kingsbury, that's happened, obviously, uh, would he want his own entire offensive staff? Thanks and fight on. Keely, your hair and makeup is on point these days, almost as good as your epic analysis. Oh, well, that's that's nice, Jason. You didn't say anything about my hair and makeup. Uh, I don't wear makeup, but um, so this is just me, obviously. So Keely, uh, will not, she'll probably listen, but she's not going to be able to react to it. Uh, I would say there's my gut is there's a pretty good chance he's going to bring in uh, a, a lot of his people or people he wants. So I'm curious what happens with uh, Kieran Colbert, who, you know, you need usually two receiver positions uh, in, you know, inside receiver, outside receivers. That's going to be a different shift. There's not going to be a tight end coach. There'll be an, uh, two receivers coaches. And you see this with teams that run similar systems. Um, that's what they do. Will, you know, Colbert retained as one of them, or does Tim, Tim Drevno get retained, even though he's not coached offensive linemen in an air raid type of system. I kind of feel like if, you know, if he brings in a Brandon Jones who worked uh, under, he, he was a Cal before under Sonny Dykes, he's got some Pac-12 experience. My guess would be that's where they go because you do want uh, someone who's familiar with the system. Um, now, maybe that was something that was negotiated. We'll see, but we'll know, we should know pretty soon. But my gut is, uh, that kind of sticks around, Jason. I mean, that that they'll he's going to bring in his own guys is is my my gut feeling there. Uh, we got Dustin. This may be more of an economics question than a football question, but when Dave Aranda was mentioned as a possibility, I noticed the post saying that his salary would go much further in Louisiana than than Los Angeles. Uh, if that's a legitimate concern of potential assistance, uh, does USC try to explain why it's really not as big of a factor? as it's made out to be. Thanks from Dustin. Okay, so Dave Aranda is the LSU defensive coordinator. He's got a 10-year deal, uh, no, sorry, a four-year deal worth $10 million, uh, $2.5 million per year, the highest paid assistant in the country. And we had heard some, I think there were some posts in the Paris but we had heard some rumblings that USC was interested and uh, that kind of fell through. But, Obviously, an expensive coach that just to, you know, I don't know 100% if that was the the interest. That's what we had heard. Um, but yeah, that that's another good sign if you're even looking at somebody like that. I don't think it was going to happen, but at least if you're going to try to do something like that, I think that's a really big deal. But he's making $2.5 million in Louisiana. Uh, I, I would have to pull out the calculator, but I'm guessing to be the equivalent for... Um, cost of living, he would probably be make three and a half to four million in Los Angeles. Um, that's how much the cost of living adjustment is. Now, when you're talking about you make two and a half million, you could be very comfortable in Los Angeles. I think there's there's coaches though that are making or like maybe support staff people say someone's making like seventy five grand a year. That does no, you know, if he was doing that in Louisiana, that would be a huge difference from making seventy five grand a year in Los Angeles, and you're trying to live somewhere near campus, you might have a longer commute. There's, there's, I think that would be the bigger factor if you're talking about a support staff than someone that's already making uh, millions per year. I think he would, he'd be fine. He could live wherever he wanted, most likely, um, you know, making whatever, if something similar to that. I do know that they made a run at him at Texas A&M when Jimbo Fisher came in. That started the, I think that's how he got the two and a half million dollar a year deal. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think a good sign, first of all, that, you know, uh, you know, what we had heard about potentially going after Dave Aranda, I think that's a good sign. 
And I don't think the cost of living factor is that big of a deal when you're talking about those big salaries. It's some of the smaller salaries that do. And, you know, you're obviously just like any business. Um, if you're a company based in Los Angeles and there's one, say, in Austin, which is a great city, cheaper cost of living. But, you know, it's more expensive now, but it's still a lot cheaper than L.A., um, you're selling uh, different factors of LA. Like, well, obviously if it's USC, you're talking about coaching at USC. Um, you know, the, the talent you have available, you don't have, what's the biggest selling point for Dave Aranda? You don't play Alabama. Like you're not, Alabama's not in, you know, in your division, you are going to dominate your division if you're good in the PAC 12 and you're the most dominant program on the West coast where in LSU, uh, where you rank in just the SEC uh, in your division even. So there's a lot of selling points, the beach and, you know, mountain, the, you know, that's what you do when it's more expensive to live for a reason. And you have to sell the reasons why it's more expensive, to, you know, the reasons that make it more expensive to live, that's the reasons you're selling it on. So you're, you're paying, you know, you're going to pay more, your money's not going to go as far, but you get all this other, these other benefits. So just almost like any other, um, business or, you know, if you're recruiting for a different business, I think you'd use the same factors. But like I said, the guy making two and a half million dollars a year, not as big of a deal. His mansion won't be as big or whatever, but um, if he wanted to like buy, like basically if you were in Louisiana and you wanted to outright buy a house, almost anything, you could probably just, you know, you could buy it with your yearly salary, but you could go to, you know, Manhattan beach and go, I want to live on the strand. And it's like a $10 million place. Like, okay, now that's much less affordable than the most expensive thing you're going to find in Louisiana. So yeah, there's factors like that, but um, I think it all comes out in the wash. If you're talking about making that much money, I think you'll be fine. All right. Last one. We got Don. Uh, what is the incentive for a very good coach? I'm sorry. So Don's written it a lot. Um, not, not so positive on, on the Clay Helton vibes. I'll just give you that. He said, what's the incentive for a very good coordinator to work under Clay Helton unless he thinks he can become the head coach? Do you believe Helton would let an offensive coordinator take total charge of the offense? And would any prospective coordinator believe that he could prepare an offense with so little quality practice time. Okay. So, um, I think there's real, there was real concern that, yeah, if, if Clay Elton's a, uh, a lame duck head coach, what coordinators would want to come in? I think it really did have to be a good situation for them. And this is a perfect one for a Cliff Kingsbury. It's perfect for USC. It just, it, you know, that just happened to work out. It was, it's going to be a, a no lose situation for Kingsbury because he's ta- he's coming in and taking over a dysfunctional offense and it's hard to imagine it not working with the talent he has. So he's going to look like a genius coming in a five win team that was 90th and scoring in the country. And they're going to, well, you know, if they go into the top 10, it's like, okay, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's a huge turnaround. So it looks good for him. Um, and will Helton let him take control of the offense. A guy like Kingsbury, I think it's an easier decision, but yeah, if it was somebody that didn't have the same sort of resume as a cliff Kingsbury would, um, they want them to kind of adapt what they're doing and, and change things and stuff that I think that would have been a real concern, but I don't think it is when you make this big of a splash, like I you know, said before, there's just no reason not to. Uh, but I think it, it just kind of worked out. I'm not saying, I mean, you, you got to give USC a lot of credit for trying to get a guy like that. Cause you wouldn't even think they would try, uh, in years past, but, um, it did work out. I mean, timing for all this worked out. It couldn't have really been a better situation for USC and you got to give them credit by taking advantage of it. And then, uh, so would any prospective coordinator believe that he could prepare an offense with so little quality practice time? Uh, Don, I think they're going to change the way 
they practice. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's running his offense. He's going to practice a certain way to get the results that he wants. So I don't think he's going to be handcuffed as far as practices go. And I think the big factor here is you have a voice in the room now who's seen it other places, who's done it different ways and has been successful. So it's someone that can say, well, here's the reason why we want to go. If, if say there's, you know, he used to do two days of full pads a week. He's now going to have a voice in the room saying, here's why we would want to do that. Now it's going to be Clay Hilton's decision um, for something like that. But I feel like he's going to be able to run his practices with his offense the way he wants to do it. Um, I think it's only going to have a positive impact and a positive effect. Um, I'm not saying he can change everything, but I think there, there'll be enough change where it's not like he's going to be handcuffed and not be able to do what he needs to do in practice. And that might spill over to other aspects of practice. Maybe they do. Uh, maybe they're more physical. Maybe it's more intense. Maybe the, the tempo's higher, all that kind of stuff. I think it's all good. I don't think, don't picture Cliff Kingsbury coming in and going, just working inside the current system. Like you bring in a guy like that, you're trying to change the culture and the scheme and the discipline and the personnel and the staff and all that stuff that, that, that Lynn Swan said, you have to be, let a guy come in there and make his changes. And I think he will. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. We went a little over an hour. Thanks to uh, VF Castro for coming on and sharing, uh, you know, some insights on the inside behind Cliff Kingsbury when she was covering him uh, for the last several years. And, Thanks to Trader Joe's, our sponsor. Thanks to the people that sent in the questions. Um, there's some, still some leftover questions I'm going to send to Dan Weber that he can answer in a column. Uh, we didn't, if you listen to our show, we didn't have Harvey Hyde on this week, so we'll get him back next week. And then uh, we didn't a do, well, we did a regular podcast with Dan Weber, but it was kind of on the fly because of all the news. So we didn't get to as many questions uh, for that either. So we'll be able to um, put something together, a column for him to answer those uh, a little bit later on the week. But I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the uh, Peristyle Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.